Chamber episode 8, a podcast powered by Six Tiles Media. My name is William Reginald Broda, and now be your host. Today on the show, we're talking to a good friend of mine who's about to become a good friend of yours. If you haven't heard of Noah Cote, the beatnik MC from the province MB, just act like you know. My man's always on point. He's at caffeine, nicotine, phenom, and skinny jeans, literary fiend, keep the image all clean. You know what I mean? He's a poet, he's a rapper, he's a very interesting guy. He's got an album coming out next week, and he's on the podcast to talk about that. Plus, art, writing, social media, mental health, tactics for capturing happiness, and coffee. I don't need to hope you'll enjoy this, because I'm already sure you will. Alright, now let's go! Thanks for coming down. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, how long have you been rapping for? Uh, rapping seriously for about four years, uh, but I've been writing, doing poetry, doing all sorts of stuff for probably a little over 10 years now. Okay. So is that where you got into creative writing with poetry more so? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. It was, you know, when I was a kid, like I would do comics, I would do little short stories, uh, and then probably around when I was 14, 14, 15 is when I started doing poetry in the first place. Okay. Yeah. And so were you doing slam poetry before you were rapping or vice yeah. versa? Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. I, uh, like I started writing poetry, uh, on the advice of a doctor, actually. Um, they said like, you should write down sort of what makes you happy or what makes you don't happy. Like if, you know, for things like uh, you know, anxiety and depression, it's a common thing to like write down your thoughts at the time, like especially if you have racing thoughts or something like that. Right. Uh, like I know a lot of people get it, like especially before bed or something, they want to keep a journal. So you just write down what's ever making you anxious. And uh, so it turned from sort of writing down all that stuff uh, into trying to make something creative out of it, I guess. Like, yeah. So, and I was always a huge hip hop head, right? So, okay. uh, like grew up listening to all kinds of rap my parents were amazing and uh and they you know got me into some pretty good people honestly like they were more of a backstreet boys and uh nelly Furtado kind of crowd back in the day like sure. they, yeah they actually had like a record player and uh and you know we'd bump some beats on that and uh but yeah so writing down stuff that like just kind of turned into trying to make stuff rhyme and trying to make stuff more creative and trying to like use words that are, like creating metaphors and similes and that sort of thing. So it just like stemmed out from there into being something that I actually wanted to like use something as a creative outlet and just, it was a huge stress reliever and uh, you know, I think it made me feel better. Yeah. Kind of thing. So were you writing rhymes for long before you got into recording? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It, because it started with the poetry, right? So I think the first time I did the poetry slam, the Winnipeg Poetry Slam would have been, I want to say like when I was 17. Uh, and so that was like a huge part of me kind of getting a bit of confidence and, and like 
I never thought that anything that I'd write that anybody would ever hear, right? So, like, when you're younger, you're just kind of, like, writing stuff just for you or just for your friends or something. Um, and then once you actually go out and break that barrier of showing it to the public and having people reacting to it, and people reacted to it pretty well. Yeah. So it kind of gave me the confidence to be able to uh, to be able to think that, like, I could do something with this. So uh, that was a huge part of it for me was going out to Poetry Slams. And anybody who's anybody that likes writing rhymes, writing stuff like that at all, you should totally, totally go out to your local slams, open mic nights, whatever, and give it a shot because it's like the most rewarding experience. What is that scene like in Winnipeg? I've never been to any sort of a slam. Or the poetry scene, about. it's pretty good, honestly. There's yeah. a lot of poetry in Winnipeg, and I, I'm not as deep into it as I should be. Uh, I mostly have only been with the Winnipeg Poetry Slam uh, but there's things like caravan that uh, happen like on a weekly basis. I'm pretty sure um, if you know they're all on Facebook and and a lot of them have websites and stuff. If you just want to check out any Winnipeg poetry stuff, you'll be able to find resources like. And they want people to come out. Like they're amazing people. All the people who run it, they're so friendly and nice and welcoming. And it's like it's it's great people all around. Especially the other poets are just fantastic people. That from day one, you know, I I was always like more of a I don't know introverted person I always kept to myself and I had a kind of a different attitude I guess about writing uh than I do now like I, I always thought like <laughs> I always thought it was more just for myself and I'm just gonna go and get up on stage and like say the shit that I feel inside and if other people like it or don't like it like I didn't care uh, it, it wasn't like for anybody else, um, is how I started out. And so I kind of like would isolate myself even when I was in that scene, like I wouldn't really talk to anybody or, or anything. And, uh, I find that now that I've tried to open up a little bit more and now that I'm writing in a completely different way, like everything has changed and people are a lot more receptive and, uh, I've just found that yeah, it's it's there's a lot of great spirit in that community. They're fantastic people. Nice. <coughs> um, so that was just a pretty natural progression for you from poetry to rhymes. Yeah, for me, because it was it's like it's a different exercise, right? Like totally. I think a lot of really great rappers and great poets i mean in probably in the 21st century or at least in the 20th century uh have definitely dabbled in both like whether they lean more toward one or the other right that's natural of course but uh if you're writing rap or if you're writing poetry if like it's just natural that eventually it's going to become the other thing at a certain point like because when you write poetry, it's you're not thinking about writing to a beat or thinking about writing uh, necessarily rhythmically. Right. You're not even necessarily thinking about rhyming, right? But yeah. at a certain point, uh, for me, it, it just turned into I want, I wanted to make something a little happier because I find most of my, uh, most of the poetry writing is a little morose, uh, a little cynical. Tend to be darker. Yeah, I mean, like dark is like, a, it's cliche. I think yeah. for me, I consider it for me cliche because oh, that's, is. you know, being a 15 year old and uh, just 
kind of going through like 15 to 18 to 20 kind of thing you're, you're like oh yeah it's so dark and, and you have your own world right yeah but uh i think the point where i realized that i wanted to do something different was when i started to have like an attitude change and try and uh like see some light from it you know yeah that's interesting though i mean i see in the space of rapping when you're creating lyrics around a beat like that that beat in a sense takes control of the mood in that area right yeah ideally yeah yeah so you mentioned before how you isolated yourself and kind of you know only wrote poetry for yourself specifically once you started performing did you feel like that changed the way you wrote or are you mostly still speaking to yourself when you create uh well, once I started performing to now is like a huge, it's like a long time in between that. So sure. so when I started performing in the first place, like 17 years old, uh, going to the Whippet Poetry Slams, uh, it was definitely like, did, did I change from isolating myself from then to now? Is the I, question? I didn't mean so much like your socialization with the community. Yeah. I mean, when you write, yeah. are you now writing with an audience in mind? Or are you still writing? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because it started as like rapping, writing, writing raps for me started as I want to make something that like obviously that means something to me and that is expressing like whatever I feel uh, or, or the message that I've been thinking about lately. It's it's always like based on how your life is going at the time. Um, but rapping now so much more to me is about making something like I'm always thinking about if my friends would like it. Right. Right. Because they they all come from the same kind of space as me, uh, like the same kind of community as me. Uh, we all kind of grew up in a similar vein. And so I wanted to make something that instead of just something that I thought could make myself happy, like I would look at my friends and say, I want to make something that'll make you happy. Right. Right. The audience is so important for this because they're the people that I kind of want to express this message to. Like the message that I write now is all about you need to protect yourself. You need to enjoy yourself. And, you know, the, the self-love thing is, is becoming such a huge, uh, I guess, thing in our culture right now, uh, especially like globally, uh, but you see it locally as well. And so I, I think that's a good thing that it's becoming so prevalent. Uh, you know, you'll see it on Twitter and Instagram and all that, but, uh, I think if more people can learn what that really means to them personally, because I think a lot of the time you can see that message online or you can see it from somebody, even somebody like that's, you know, a performer saying it, you can see it. And if you don't vibe with what they're saying, or if you don't like have a personal connection to that, then it might not mean anything to you. And like, I would never want that message to become cheapened by anything. Right. I would never want people to think of self love or self care as something that, is just like this generic factory produced thing that like has no bearing on their experience. It is almost coming commodified right now. Right? It seems right. It's like a product. Yeah, I think so too. And I think people will make it their brand, which is fine. But in order to make it feel genuine for your audience, you need to be able to connect to them on a level other than just the message that you're sending them. Right. You need to be able to connect to them on a level of like, showing that you've shared their life experience or showing that you can understand. And if they're able to give 
you an idea of like what they feel or what they've been through that you need to show that you can understand that and you can accept, accept that on like a really personal level as opposed to just yeah you know, and that that is an interesting challenge right it's one thing to just dazzle somebody with some wordplay but to turn yeah. around and actually connect with an audience on a human level yeah. through a one-way medium like that like that's pretty special and also challenging i think yeah absolutely so for you when you got into rapping, what was that? Like, where'd you get your first beats from? Who'd you rap with? Where'd I get my first beats from? Uh, so I've never rapped with anybody else. Okay. Ever. I, when I first started, you know, it, I had this, I, there was definitely a level of insecurity about it uh, as far as showing anything to anybody else because I was always afraid of becoming like, like it's a, it's it's a it's a meme, right? It's a, it's such a cliche that you have like I don't know fucking like whether it's the right the white rapper or the basement rapper or the whatever like people the SoundCloud rapper yeah the SoundCloud yeah. rapper it's it's like people are very quick to just shut off to that and yeah put you in a category and leave it there yeah and I also had a hard time in the beginning writing something honest. Right. Like I would always try and like pump up a little bit, uh, especially if I was trying to make like happier stuff or more party stuff. It was always like exaggerated versions of what uh, like maybe experiences I've had and that sort of thing. And so it didn't it like it didn't feel as honest and I didn't want people to I didn't want anybody to hear something from me that may, might be disingenuous or whatever. So uh yeah, it, it was always a very solo thing for that. Uh, so I never rapped with anybody else. Uh, where I got the beats, mostly I would take music that I was listening to, uh, like whoever I was into at the time, uh, whether it was Wu-Tang or Mac Miller or whatever, uh, and I would just find their instrumentals on YouTube. Yeah, YouTube like MP3, most people rip do, it, yeah, yeah. Totally. And then it never goes anywhere. Uh, I don't even know where those old recordings would be now. Probably on five laptops ago yeah. man you should try to find them and yeah. say that there will be a time at, i left uh i had my first four rhyme books which was ages nine to 13 right yeah and nine I, to 13 that young eh? yeah man Goddamn, and, uh, right I, you know what more more so for sure during 12 and 13 yeah. but my first rap i wrote at age nine I remember. okay and uh I had my first time I was going to hang out with a DJ at his house and like work on a song. Now we never finished the song, but I was like pumped. I took yeah. the bus. I brought every rhyme yeah, I had feeling, yeah. and I left them there and we never went back. And I called him like years later. I'm like, what, what are the chances? He's like, dude, I'm sorry. But and of course, <sighs> that, right? sucks, so that, that crushes me. So save him if you got him, yeah. I would say. Um, you, you were just saying how when you started, you struggled to write something honest. Yeah. Did you find it easier to share with people as your work became more honest or vice versa? Like Honestly, man, the honest part was the hard part to share. It's still not easy to share. Yeah, it's still not easy to share. And I think anybody who cares about what they're doing is going to have that same feeling that it's not it's never easy to put yourself out there yeah. and to share something that like really means something to you. I, I think it's really it's easy to try to create, you know, to, to speak on those topics on like a surface level and tell, you know the parts of it that make it to your Instagram feed. Right, exactly. But it's those those vulnerabilities you expose that really make art special and powerful, but that that's the hard part to let out, right? That's absolutely right. And that's something that I've been trying to do recently 
uh, and that's something that I think any proper artist should be striving for, and I think will strive for for their entire life. Yeah, I guess that doesn't stop either. No, right? that's I don't a think constant so. Journey. Yeah. So let's talk about your current project. Sure. Yeah, please. Yeah, make um, you happy. Yeah. Coming out February, visual album. Okay, tell yeah. us about it. Uh, so I've been working on it for honestly my entire artistic career which is like the very generic thing to say but sure yeah it's always just been swelling around and I always knew that I wanted to like I said make a project for people that come from the same place as me and come from uh, the same mental place as me so make you happy is all about just recognizing that people come from fucked up situations and people do fucked up things and people feel fucked up sure and it doesn't matter who you are, you know, like you can, you, I don't care if you're upper class, middle class, lower class, like everybody has problems and whatever those problems are, they may differ, but they tend to make you feel the same way. Like on a human level, we all have that same emotional reaction to something that disturbs us. Yes. Right. So it's about taking that disturbance and like not feeling like that makes you like it removes value from you at all right it's about not feeling broken and not feeling used so the the project itself is just it's just me telling you that like you're fucking you're gonna be okay you know and it's also me telling me that i'm gonna be okay right because yeah. if i you know if i didn't feel the way that i do then uh you know i never would have wrote before so it's uh it's just super 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 important to me because I would have wanted when I was in the place that I was from, you know, 15 to 17, 18, whatever, I, I would have wanted something like this that was like a third party saying, hey, like what you're doing, whatever you're doing, it, it's OK. You know, yeah. like the mistakes that you make, they're not going to control who you are for the rest of your life. They're not going to change your brain or change your personality. Like you need to be able to be comfortable with yourself right. so that you can grow and heal as a human being. And this album is your opportunity to be that voice yeah. for those people. Yeah. Well, I never call myself a voice for the people. I mean, I, I think people can listen to it and take what they want from it, which is the entire point of it when, when it gets right down to it. It's something that I want. I'm saying what I'm going to say, and I want people to get from it what they can. Great. Yeah. And it's in support of Mood Disorder Association Manitoba. So okay, all, awesome. the, all the money from it, all the... Uh, proceeds will be going to Mood Disorder Association of Manitoba, which is a super important organization in Winnipeg. And uh, yeah, I, I really have a soft spot for them. So, okay. Yeah. So you partnered with them for this project? In support of, yeah. And yeah. So, what can we expect to see in the album? You can expect to see me talking about what makes me happy, definitely what makes me sad, and why. I am who I am. I, I don't know. Like it, it's a, there's going to be some tunes. There's going to be some music videos. It's going to be something that I want you to hear. It's going to be everything that I want you to hear. I don't know. I've, I've never fucking, I haven't thought about that question. Yeah. What can you expect from the album? Well, let, let, let me like hone in on the question a little more like that. In uh in terms of sound, like what's, yeah. what's the vibe like? Oh, the vibe of the album is definitely fun. Yeah. It's about fun, man, because I can't... To pick me up. Uh, yeah, I can't keep going with this if we're not going to just have fun. I'm down for a 
good time and that's that's just about it like there's there's definitely some songs on there that are gonna because it's like it's half poetry and it's it's half kind of jumpy funner songs like that right so okay. the whole thing is just stories about myself and about people i know and the poetry stuff is definitely a little heavier but uh i think you know the storytelling is there and i think people will definitely vibe with that and then the uh the rap is rap man i'm like a sick rapper so yeah you know yeah we know that's the truth yeah. how would you describe your style my style yeah fucking tight dude <laughs> fucking sick <laughs> like it's so good um i don't know i just say words and try and make them rhyme sometimes i guess that's the way it the goes best. right yeah who do you, do you have any inspiration to you to say oh hell yeah hell yeah uh like who i've been listening to a lot lately is Dudes like Aesop Rock, Ski Master Slump God. Um, I mean, I used to be super into RA. I mean, I grew up on Eminem. Didn't we all? Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I rem my parents got me uh, the Marshall Mathers LP. No kidding? Yeah, man. Like, the on CD, like, 2003 or 2004 or whatever. Dab. Yeah, it was young, man. I, I started listening to M when I was like... Me and my best friend, actually, we got into him together. We, we must have been six years old, six or seven years old. And my parents are tight, and they were just huge supporters of art, and they understood that it had value. That's crazy. My mom was just reminding me. She's like, you were so bad in high school that you didn't even go to school most of the time. Yeah. But like, the only way you'd ever get out of bed in the morning is you'd like put an Eminem CD on, yeah. and you listen to like, three songs, and then get out of bed. For that sure, would be man. like a win. And yeah. that's like the place that I had for me. you know. Till like, I collapse. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, that was the song everybody listened to in 2007. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that was like Eminem show came out when I was in grade yeah. 10 or something, I think. And I totally remember that. It was just a huge soundtrack for me. All right, what about the other end of stuff like uh, poetry? What do you read? Or just in general, what do you read? Uh, so for the longest time, I was the big Bukowski boy, man. Uh, that that is the dude for me. Like, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm wild about that guy. Uh, I've read, I don't know, I, I want to say all his books, but he has like a ton. Um, so yeah, his, his poetry too is something awesome. You can still find like live readings of his stuff on YouTube, which is just amazing. I've always wanted to do a show like that where it's just, he goes up and he sits down at a table in front of like a college campus or whatever, which is the craziest thing to me now too, Yeah, is that he would go to colleges and, and universities and read his stuff out. And you know, it's all about him like throwing up and just being a rad old man um so yeah Bukowski for sure um I I first got into it and uh like I still love the beats you know like Ginsburg like Howell changed my goddamn life when I was 16 17 I, I actually have like a not a first edition but like one of the little black and white paper books uh that had Howell and other poems by Allen Ginsberg in there nice uh so that was like super important to me, especially the way that he talked about mental health was like and just talking about the stuff with his mother and that like really changed my perspective on like how you could write something. Yeah. You know, like like finding the beats was such a big deal for me because I was always about like writing clever references or like just the stuff that rhymes the most or just stuff that sounds cool. But when I read people like Bukowski and Ginsburg, like I realized that you can write something that doesn't have to rhyme and you yeah. can write something that is just like 
so powerful and so plain spoken. Yeah, the realest shit comes without a punchline. Yeah, right? exactly, yeah. exactly. The whole thing is a punchline, right? Like you're, yeah. you're tuned in 100% of the time. I yeah. love that. Nice. So what's the deal with coffee? Coffee, man. I got to drink it every single day or else I die. Yeah. yeah. Is, that, is that the truth? Yeah, absolutely. Because I've been two days without coffee so far. Okay, well, congratulations. Man, but I'll be honest. For the last two days, I absolutely felt dead. Yeah. I drank too much coffee on Sunday. Like, was up the entire night. Slept for like 40 minutes, an mm -hmm. hour, went to school. And I was like, enough of this. Like, I'm quitting cold turkey. And like, I, I don't think I can do it. That do was you, the breaking point for you? I, well, my whole thing is I was like, if I don't drink any coffee today, maybe I can get a good night's sleep and like reset. Right. And then the, the next, but then I took a nap after school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm up all night again. And the next day, like my head is just killing and I'm like, Am I withdrawing right now? Is, like, <laughs> yes, is that actually yes, what's happening? That's drug, crazy. Dude. That makes me feel like, man, I'm so dependent on yeah. this shit. But I'm just always in this like savage cycle of like caffeine mornings and THC evenings. Yeah. And then like actually I had like a clear dream last night for the first time and like I don't even remember. Yeah, because the weed it takes dreams away. Totally. Right? Yeah. yeah, it robs you of them. Yeah. So I don't know. Gotta put some thought into that, I think. Yeah. I'm more like if I don't dude. The morning routine for me is you wake up and you sprint headfirst toward the coffee pot. And then the second that that slow drip is out there, you're I'm, I'm dashing to the front door and I got to smoke that first cigarette with my first cup of coffee of the day. Yeah. And if I can't get that, like I'm an alien until then, you know, like <laughs> I, I cannot function with other human beings. I could not live in a colony. If I was in a village, I'd be kicked out. It, it, would, be, <laughs> it would be a bad situation for everyone involved. Uh, do you, How do you find... Writing. What is the relationship your caffeine intake has to your writing? Do you know? That's a good question. It depends what I'm writing for sure. Like if I'm writing something like for work or school, then like caffeine needs to be involved. Uh, but I find that the more creative stuff, like the stuff that, you know, is just like, I don't have to think about so much because it's just, it's my words and my brain and my You're feelings, feeling my a lot emotion. More than thinking? Yeah. yeah, I'm feeling a lot more. So for that type of stuff, it usually I usually don't like to write before six PM and I'm not fucking drinking any coffee after six PM. Yeah. So I'm 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 usually just like before it was all about like I used to write drinking uh primarily. Like I wouldn't write, I wouldn't record, I wouldn't do anything without drinking for the longest time. Right. Now I've I find that uh because I want to write something that actually, you know, I think <laughs> i want to write something that people will actually enjoy not just that i'll enjoy right. I, I definitely pay a lot more attention to it and uh you know coffee is not an issue at that point fair yeah this is so brutal you know i've been like not drinking coffee for two days and yeah. I'm talking like i need a medal here <laughs> dude you should get a medal are you kidding it's like people talk about quitting smoking but coffee is the real disease here people. you feel like that yeah absolutely you feel more addicted to coffee than cigarettes oh god no, no. yeah no, so. <laughs> but it's still, you know, for people who don't smoke, it's, yeah. it's a serious thing, man. It's yeah. a serious thing for me. I know that. You can feel sick if you don't get your coffee. In I, did, I yeah, did. I did. Exactly. My brain was crushing. Everyone's like, what's wrong with you? I'm yeah. like, I don't know. Like, the sky oh, I don't have the stimulant in my body right yeah. now. I don't have the stimulant pumping through my veins 24-7 like I usually do. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think you just can't imagine like a straight edge life, though. You just wake yeah. up and like experience the world and enjoy yeah. it and deal with it without adjusting yourself. Yeah. What, wait, so are, do straight-edge people not drink coffee? What's that? Do straight-edge people not drink coffee? I bet they do. I mean... I don't know what the deal is. Do they take Advil? 
Yeah, it's a good point. I'm not sure. Like, is that no? Maybe it's just no, like, I don't psycho yeah. stuff. Yeah, I, but I mean, in my mind, no mood altering substances. Yeah, but to people that talk about caffeine, like it isn't legitimately a drug. That's like a thread away from talking about alcohol, like it's not a drug to me. Yeah, I, I feel like I could think of one friend in particular who did like years of designated driving but he came out and drank like eight red bulls every night and acted yeah. like a speed freak like that's like <laughs> yeah. it's it's still without any fun yeah right <laughs> totally yeah maybe that'd be good like get down to ground zero I'm, I'm trying not to drink this year actually why um it just hasn't been working for me anymore man that's like, good like I, it's not even like I have a drinking problem by any means. I definitely had like uh, issues binge drinking in yeah. past years. Yeah. I haven't been drinking a lot, but it's at the point where if I do go out, it's only for a few drinks, and then I just feel like total shit the next day. So I think if I'm going to go out for a drinking night, I'll go out and drink, but no more like two drinks. And then like here's the thing I've noticed too. like If you have two drinks and you stop, you feel like shit in yes. an hour. Like yeah. you got to keep going. Yeah. So It like, almost seems like it's by design yeah it almost <laughs> seems like that i just think the juices isn't worth the squeeze anymore yes. like it's not working out i i don't know i want to make time i'm gonna do some more psychedelics this year okay that's that's, that's my goal is but that the thing that you find uh, centers you or it uh, Matt, clarifies some things um i haven't like yeah i don't know i feel like the, I've, I've gained more yeah from those experiences um i don't know that i've gained a lot from a life drinking anytime recently yeah so, yeah, and I'm not by any means like a psychedelic juggernaut, but uh, I, I tried LSD for the first time this summer and like it was like an amazing experience and I felt totally void of anxiety for the first time in my entire life, Yeah, which is sort of scary in the sense that like you don't want to be chasing that, but I don't know. I, I've been wondering. Well, about if it's it. not hazardous to your health, why wouldn't you want to be chasing that? Um, I, I guess I just mean that you know, like in that day, I'm thinking like, why can't you feel like this all the time? Yeah. Right. And I mean, it's sort of that, that's the exact way they describe like the hook of something like yeah, heroin yeah, addiction, fair enough, right? Fair that That's all I mean. But yeah, I've been listening to uh, this podcast right now, uh, yeah. Buddhist Geeks. And yeah, the, he had these guys on, they're talking about something called consciousness hacking and the idea of, you know, using technology and possibly in combination with psychedelics to uh you know basically just forego 10 years of meditating in a cave and kind of get yourself to that place <laughs> basically wait the where'd the 10 years of meditating in a cave go i thought that was kind of pretty crucial crucial point of the yeah, process and that's that's what they were talking about is well you know can you do that like without the experiential end of it yeah. can you just actually now that they're able to like look at people's brains and see oh that's what's happening yeah. and they could possibly excel could you do that and if they you know what they've referred to as the enlightenment button would you want that and so that's raised some interesting questions like uh for one thing you know there's a strong point to say that our ability to stress and freak out is pretty crucial to yes, our survival. Absolutely. And like, if you could, could you really remove that? And I think it depends on your personality type too. Like yeah. there are definitely people who need that stress and freaking out to be able to get done the stuff they need to get done. Absolutely. So I think it's more on the individual basis at that point. I, when, when I first heard them talk about that, like my first reaction was exactly what you just said. Like, yeah. isn't that kind of important? The yeah. whole thing. And 
they uh she had it was at like a a forum that they had recorded right like it was like a group sort of thing and that one woman spoke and she's was a neurosurgeon and she said yeah my group said the same thing hell no but within five minutes we got to yes and the way that they said that was that she said well first like my mom has a pacemaker okay and it was a painful surgery, and she suffered, went through a lot. But they because didn't of this, put her under anesthesia. Because, well, of course, I'm sure they did. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. Yeah. But you know, she she went through this, and because of this, she's alive. And uh, by no means would I want to say that. No, I don't believe in implants. I want that pacemaker out of my mom. Sure. Right. So everybody agreed on that. Yeah, she should have a pacemaker. Oh, I think I see where you're going with this. Right. <laughs> then, then they talked about. Uh, hearing aids not just hearing aids but the newfangled ones that are actually allowing deaf people to hear for the first time and you know as people i know that within the deaf community there's some uh you know indecision as to whether you know because from the perspective that they're just differently able like do they need to hear like should they have to have that yeah but you know as people that have been able to hear and loved hearing our whole lives like i don't think anyone would want to deny that person that if they said yeah i want that implant we'd say yeah like it can be part of your identity for sure and that's important but at the same time you want people to again make that decision on a case-by-case basis yes yes and then the uh the pinnacle kind of point she made is there's uh and I'm not going to be able to pull the name now, but there, there's a procedure. It's an invasive procedure. It's She says only a few surgeons in the world will perform it. Yeah. But for people that have crippling depression, they will actually go in through the top of the skull into the brainstem and put this chip in that will, I guess, they know that's where that nerve activity is. And they, they've had amazing results or people have been able to function in society that just couldn't even get out of bed, right? So what does the chip do? I couldn't tell you that. I couldn't tell you that, but I—I I mean, we—I I assume it must be similar to a pacemaker, right? Like, because there is just electrical signals in your brain, right. right? So if they've isolated to that point, they're stimulating that area. Okay. I guess, but she didn't go into it in depth, and I—I I don't know much about it. I think stimulation you. is good because they had a procedure back in the fifties that was like the other side of stimulation, right. and that didn't work out so well for quite yeah. a few people. So no, for sure. Yeah, once it came to that, they're like, so if we could do this procedure. And essentially just awaken the entire, our society. Like, wouldn't you want that? That may be like, huh. But that's, you know, that's pretty progressive thinking. There's a lot of, you know, uh, Orthodox Buddhists, if you will, that definitely are against the idea of anything other than just sitting down and shutting up and getting through it. Right. Okay. Let's rewind for a second. You said, you said that this procedure could basically wake up our entire society, right? Like, I get where you're coming from when you say that. If in, if you're meaning, like, what the fuck is going on? Why are so many people depressed? And why do so many people have these mental or behavioral disorders? Yeah. Right? Like, obviously, it's a product of, you know, we're becoming, obviously, destigmatizing it, hopefully. And we're talking more about it out in public. But, like, what is with... <laughs> what is with memes now that are like there's entire like internet forums and stuff dedicated to like people who want to make jokes and stuff about how bad they want to kill themselves or about how bad like their shit life is or something like that. Yeah, like no, what, I'm, what I'm, is this pervasive thing going on in in our society that has like cropped up? I don't know. And it's this weird sort of thing. The question I always ask myself is and you mentioned and I absolutely agree it is being destigmatized and all that. Yeah. But 
are we getting more depressed or is it getting just destigmatized? Because I've really, to me, what I'm perceiving is that the world is depressed and our individual depression is a reflection of that. Sure. Right? But like we're dying, look around, you know, in terms of, you know, whatever. We've seen the ocean. We know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. right? like, so I, I see it as that, but I know what you mean. That's a weird sort of thing. And I, I don't know where I draw that line. Like it's great. Like, for sure we need to talk about it no one's arguing about that yeah. but then you know and i've seen someone else post on oh you know people that want to you know make themselves a victim or I, I i don't know like kind of i i personally struggle with that because at what point do i cut myself some slack and say you know like everybody gets bummed out like yeah. you'll get through this you're yeah. gonna bounce back at what point do you say like toughen up man like get through this right because sometimes sometimes you need a hug and sometimes you also need a kick in the ass Absolutely. right so for myself like what what do you think like where do you draw that line in the sad and maybe it's great that we're joking about this stuff in one sense but like that's also cheapening it too in a way do you know what i mean how's that i i just mean that if we're gonna make it so cool to be depressed i'm concerned that right because that's becoming that's less cool to, to be tough and okay. I think we we need to be tough too, right? Especially right now. Well, I think I'd probably question the definition of tough in the first place. But I think what, what we're talking about here is the pendulum has been so far on one side, you know, since the dawn of time. Like nobody wants to talk about this kind of stuff or get it out in the open or make people feel comfortable for some reason. And then when the pendulum swings the other way with social media and with people being able to express themselves on a wider basis and stuff like that, like we are getting that level of communication that I think is so crucial to making people feel better about themselves and making people feel good. But the pendulum can swing too far, right? Because with the advent of social media, we're having stuff like, you know, the, the, the Instagram depression and the, you know, people feeling like, like, you know, it starts with the people seeing the best parts of people's lives on social media and that sort of thing. But then it also delves into people finding these havens on the internet of places like, you know, whatever internet website that has jokes about mental health. And I think, I think again, it's obviously like up to the individual to decide what they're comfortable with. Like if, if joking about this stuff makes you feel good about you, right? Like if yeah. it makes you feel like you can cope with it better then that's a positive thing, I guess. As long as you're not hurting anybody, go for it, I say. But, yeah, I don't know. My my whole gut thing is, like, and a really negative reaction that I often have when I see people just crying to themselves and feeling sorry online. Is I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you know, freaking... Do you see that a lot, though? I, I absolutely do. And even, even on a, a micro scale, like, I mean, maybe not, like, deep, deep wallowing, but you know, making a big deal about having a bad day. And I'm like, like suck it up. Yeah. That's honestly what I think a lot of the time. But then I'm like, do you know what? Like maybe that person is, this is an outlet. Maybe that's easier for them than actually accessing a human to talk to. And now they have 17 friends that are sending them. Like they might be trite and cliche responses, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, via emoticon, but yeah they have those people expressing some sort of love towards them. And like, maybe that's really worth a lot. Absolutely. And I so, think so. Like there, you know, there's a lot of good in it too. If it I makes guess. you feel better, it's not hurting anybody then do it. Right. But I'd say that before you're going to, especially dude, the, this, this thing of, 
I've talked to so many people and they they can tell me about their feelings and and I always I love that's the most important thing to me is especially with like friends and and people I love is I want to talk to you about how your mental health is doing. I want to talk to you about how you're feeling. And I'm glad that that's becoming something that's so acceptable. Like friends of mine that, like you say, you know, right? Like what? when is it time to be tough? Like friends of mine that I think are like the toughest dudes I know are now like they feel comfortable and tons of people are feeling more comfortable about talking what's going on in their head. Yeah. And that's super important. And the thing that I'd say, though, is that before you start going off on this tangent of like I've, you know, people talk a lot about depression. People talk a lot about anxiety. Um, and I... I <laughs> there's the kitty i would always ask them like you know first things first you need to go to a professional right like first things first right off the bat you need to go to a professional you need to go to a doctor and you need to get your you know talk to them and see if they can give you uh you know whether it's a diagnosis if that's what you're looking for or whether it's just coping mechanisms or whatever like you need to do that first because i i i'm not a huge fan of the mentality of like Self-diagnosis, I think, is a very dangerous thing to do. Absolutely. Um, I think it it just leads to, like, patterns of behavior that, you know, people will tend to wrap themselves up in something. And if it's the wrong thing or if it's not the thing that's going to make them feel healthy or feel happy, then, you know, I can't I can't condone that shit. So, yeah, the first thing is definitely go and, and get yourself a nice doctor and talk to them and... Uh, the second thing, too, I feel like people are, like, completely disregarding the big three, which is sleep, diet, and exercise. Yeah. It's the big three, you know? Like, and, and people, I don't know. I, I think that... No, that's absolutely a huge thing. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I see that in myself, too. Like, you know... You I'm can, guilty of it, dude. Oh, Hell we, yeah. We all yeah. are. But I... I don't know for all like you know all the wallowing and all the that I've done. I can't think of the last time I got a good night's sleep, yeah. woke up, yeah. went for a run, ate a square meal, <laughs> and still said "fuck my life." It's never, <laughs> I've never felt like that, right? Yeah, and the, I'm with and you the on tough that. part is, I said, giving yourself that kick in the ass to get that sleep, go yeah. for that run, make that food. Um, and yeah, just to go back, we talked about defining being tough. That that's what I mean by tough. I don't mean like, you know, breaking someone's nose cause they spilled sure. a drink on yeah. you. I mean, it, you know, uh, being, you know, I being healthy is tough. Yeah, it is. Yes, absolutely. Totally. And like, uh, you know, I don't know a word that hasn't been used up like warrior or gladiator sure. or something lame yeah. like that. But, uh, for yourself internally, like, yeah, that, that, you got to be tough to do that, man. That's consistency, what, consistency is tough, you know? That's what make you happy is about. Yeah. Being a fucking warrior. There we go. That's what it's all about, man. It, It's so simple. Like, there's nothing complex about feeling good. Yeah. And as intense as feeling bad can be, I think feeling good can be just that intense oh yeah too, right it's, like, it's, it's, it's a lot better i can yeah. speak from experience on so um yeah definitely not worth i have no idea what the end of that sentence was it's not worth wallowing it's thank not, you it's not <laughs> worth like man that's the thing man like when i was younger it and dude from me to you it took me so long to learn that and that 
like when I was younger, it was self pity and it was wallowing and it was feeling shitty about my situation. And like, you know, when I was younger, I did go to a doctor and I had that experience a couple years with that person. And that was what turned into the art, right? Well, that was like, I needed to, they're like, okay, you got to write down the shit that makes you feel bad. You got to write down the shit that makes you feel good, right? Because if you take an inventory, you're able to look at your blessings and you're able to identify the problems, right? Which is so important. Mm -hmm. So that is what turned into, okay, like, I'm basically writing short stories anyway, but I don't know how to, <laughs> I don't know how to write an arc. Right. There's no arc to this stuff. It's just like thoughts throughout the day. Right. So, yeah. um, so eventually it just turned into like, I'm already listening to hip hop. I knew that this is such an important piece of my life. And that's what makes me feel happy a lot. Like yeah. that, a lot of the time it's, it, it's unfucking describable the way that hip hop makes me feel like it's, it's so overbearing in my life it lifts me up and it's also the thing that like sits on my shoulders because it's also really difficult but yeah man the writing that shit like you got to identify your problems and you got to identify the things that make you happy and if you can write that down for me i turned that into okay now i can make this rhyme right because i had that upbringing of like you know my parents are super into art and into poetry and so that turned into me being into art and poetry right and i'm not the most cultured dude right i've never been to the louvre or some shit but <laughs> but being able to write something down and being able to like make something out of it is it felt so constructive and so productive for me and i knew i couldn't give that up so it was from that point from like 15 that i was like no this like this is all that i am this is all that i need to do in my goddamn life is the most important thing to me and every single day i would I, man i had i had books and books and books and pages it got to a point i remember after about a year it got to a point of me writing down all the stuff that makes me sad um all the stuff that makes me happy throughout a day uh, it got to a point where i would have all these books and journals and papers and i would just leave them around the house right and like my parents are of course like they're so supportive to me and so incredible um they <laughs> i remember one day i left all my shit out and um i came back home and it was all gone and i was like oh no like you know did it get thrown out or did it get moved somewhere or something like that and i went downstairs and my mom was in my room and she was <laughs> tightening up garbage bags yeah in my closet and I'm like, hey, like, what's good? And she's like, oh, well, you know, you leave all this stuff around everywhere, which is like, you know, pick up after yourself, obviously, because I'm a <laughs> shit kid. Uh, but she's like, I, I just, you know, I want to keep it in one place for you in one space because it's important. And yeah. so I have literally garbage bags in my closet sitting of all these like, you know, my 15 year old poetry and, and, and rhymes and stuff like that. That's and, amazing. Uh, yeah. You know, so it was just I thought it was fitting that it was all in the garbage. Yeah. Right. I thought it was fitting because it's like, take this stuff, put it in a sack and throw it out somewhere. <laughs> man. Yeah, that's hilarious. Is he still got that bag? Yeah, it's somewhere, man. For that's sure. Great. It's somewhere. Yeah. So what's the future look like for uh, Narco in terms of aspirations? The and future for Narco, man. Trying to make it through school right now. Yeah. One for well, time. Noah Cote is trying to make it through school right now. Narco is oh, just like getting out that D12. Shit. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I'm just. I don't know, man. I'm living. I'm trying to make stuff that is going to make you happy. You personally will, Rhoda. Just yeah. you. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm trying to 
man, just like fucking do this, you know, like I'm really just trying to do this. Like I'm trying to be the, the artist that I know that I am and I'm trying to realize that and I'm always trying to expand and grow and I love hearing all the music we have today. I love going on the new list on Spotify and finding all the talented young people that we have out here. I love the locals, man. Like the poetry scene is like crushing right now. We just had a team go out to, uh, from the Winnipeg Poetry Society, we just had a team go out to um, the Canadian Festival of Spoken Word in Guelph, Ontario. Uh, and that like, that is so cool to me. I was, I was honestly, I, I'm sorry to the team because I was supposed to be on the team. Um, it, we had like a qualifier round uh, last year. We were at the Park Theater yep. uh, doing our Winnipeg Poetry Slam. It was the finals. I was beyond psyched to get there, man. Like I was so thankful. Like I can't explain how gratified I am to have like, because you go up and you do your shit, right? Like it's it's two rounds. Can you, it's, yeah, explain the format to me. Yeah, yeah okay. Good. So I've been doing it since I was like 17. Or like 16, 17, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but this latest one, I like was really, you know, every time I'm trying to bring my goddamn A game, right? Yeah. That's what it's all about. Like totally. nobody there is like just coming out to like make no impression. Like everybody there is killing it. So you 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 get there and then we go and we sit in the green room at the Park Theater, which like big ups to Park Theater for hosting stuff like this. Um, and then there's the host... Uh, Larissa Music was the host at the time and she's fantastic and wonderful and just devoted her heart and soul to the society and I can't thank her enough for that. She's been incredible. Um, and also super encouraging to all the poets, which is like, you know, yeah. amazing, obviously. Uh, so you go there and memorization is not necessary, which like, thank God, because I have a shit memory. So uh, that's a plus for me. And uh, you get up on stage and it's two rounds. So first round is three minutes. Every poet goes in a line and you read your stuff. And then after that, so like I go up, I perform a poem and then I stop and I leave <laughs> and I walk off stage. And uh, after that, there's judges selected from the crowd. Okay. And they hold up scorecards. And so it's like, you know, you'll get like, if you're lucky, you get like, you know, 8.2 or 8.5 or whatever, right? Yeah. And uh, then all those scores, like there's five judges just picked around from the crowd. All the scores are added up. And then... They're picked randomly from the crowd? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, which I think is good. It's like, let the community judge. You know, that's the most honest way that you can... Because like, where are you going to get like professional poetry judges, right? Yeah. Like, I, I think it's the best that the community And it's so subjective to too, right? Absolutely, It, it makes course. sense for it to be random. Yeah. Yeah. And no, you know... We all like nobody goes there to like compete, you right. know. Like nobody goes there like think like I am the best poets. Like my words are the best words, yeah, right? Yeah. Like we all obviously feel good if you get a good score, um, but it, you know, that's the thing about poetry sounds. But anyway, so yeah, you 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 get your score and then um, it, you're just ranked, and it comes out to see who gets the whatever it is like one year i won a plastic toy animal collar yeah uh so it's like this little gun shaped thing that like you pull the trigger and it makes a wolf sound or you twist the thing and it makes a bear sound or whatever <laughs> so that was cool uh one year uh we won 20 bucks which was cool um but then this year i made it to the finals and uh actually came in 
first place, not to brag or anything, but Boom. yeah, uh, at the Park Theater, which was such a good feeling, man. Like I've never gotten to perform in front of that many people. I don't know how many people the Park Theater seats, but it was a packed house, dude. And like, so many of my friends came out, my my pops came out, and just like the crowd was so incredible and so receptive and lovely. Um, and yeah, so I, I took the I took the W on that one. And so from that, that was like the finals here in Winnipeg is what decides uh, the team that's going to go to the Canadian Festival of Spoken Word in okay. Guelph, Ontario. Uh, that was in 2018. Uh, so like that was super. And the Tiny Tricycle Poets were there. They're a really great group. Uh, you can check them out on Instagram. They're like a fantastic couple of people. And they, they like opened and uh, and did some stuff. Uh, and we're just super supportive to the local poets. They're from BC, I'm pretty sure. Um, and so, yeah, so there was the event. And then the five of us that placed at the top got invited to the Spoken Word Festival. Uh, but unfortunately, of course, it was uh, from like October to November. So I couldn't attend on account of not being able to miss school. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I know the team went out there and, and did their best. And, like, I'm just so psyched to see that uh, that we're, like, invested in that stuff. That's great, man. That's a, that's a community. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever done anything, uh, like, artistic outside of the written field? Anything visual or anything? I mean, like... It's okay I, if the answer is no. No, no, no. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, like, quantify what like shitty sketches or like you know i'm 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 so bad at visual stuff dude yeah like, you I'm know so what not like good at that. To, to me like that's and that's fair and it's great that you could say that but i think like if you do it that already says something yeah like if absolutely. somebody tells you like oh yo i rap and you're like yeah. okay like you're whack but <laughs> i bet you're going to enjoy my music because you're into that sort of art right yeah. like you can sort of see like I can't paint worth shit, sure. but all the things you see on my wall, I created because I can't oh, afford shit. art. I didn't know that. Well, not, th not that one, but that shit, yeah. You did those three? Yeah. That's amazing, dude. That's really, 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 really cool. Man, I'll I show you. Really I got a couple cool. other ones. You know that? What the fuck? That's so, sick, yeah, but they just because, like, I, you know, and I don't know anything about art to even, like, yeah. you know, I've walked through a few art galleries, but, like, <laughs> oh, I'm, you're I'm, like an expert at that point, right? No, I'm like, just. Like, I listen to a Wu Tang album. That's why I'm a rapper. Yeah, so, boom. That's yeah, it. 36. That's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like, I, you know, Matt, art galleries? Have you been to an art gallery? Yeah, I've been to an art gallery, dude. Yeah, you dig them? I dig them. I dig them, but like... I I've been to one art gallery. I've been to the WAG. Yeah. Actually, no, that's not true. I went to the Forum Arts Center, okay. which is an amazing little place. I did a story on them a little while ago. It's an amazing little place uh, that like... That's in Winnipeg? Yeah, yeah, it's, okay. a, it's a lot of volunteers. It's like, it's it's not the biggest space, but it's like, it's so invested in the community. And they do a lot of uh, art lessons. They do from age five to age 65 and they're great people but i don't want to interrupt your art gallery story no 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 i i don't really have much of a story i just that uh, you know when i'm in an art gallery yeah. i just feel like i'm like just faking it you know like i'm just dude yeah sitting there quietly with everybody else looking yeah. and nodding but i'm like i don't know what the fuck i'm looking at hey you know, like, you know what all those other people are thinking same what shit. the fuck am i looking at dude <laughs> absolutely of course totally yeah you know like if you're not writing a book about and now I'm searching for a painter's name. If you're not writing a book about the person <laughs> that you're looking at. Dude, I went to the Dali exhibit yeah. when it was here in, in at the WAG. Incredible, man. Incredible. And I think that's the thing, too. It's like when you go into an art gallery, you kind of feel that thing of, oh, when I look at this, I should feel something, right? Yeah. Or I should be thinking something like 
pompous or something like very introspective and and oh the subtle lines and that sort of thing but like if you look at it and you don't vibe with it boom it's not your art like you know yeah but you know that's what's crazy about art right you don't need to understand it to feel it that's the point and that's the, everything's like that yeah. like if you look at rap like you know maybe like you as you know a sommelier of hip-hop is sure. going to be able to like hear a verse and be like that's sick i love that cadence love that flow love that throwback yeah. that verse from 85 that i remember but, but somebody else off the street could hear that same verse and they might understand any of that but it'll still rock their world you and know? there's there's no difference in value between those two enjoyment levels no i don't think so exactly honestly. yeah that, that's that is what's really amazing about art for sure huh what else we got here man I don't know, man. <laughs> what do you want to talk about, man? I don't know, man. All I can think about is writing these days. Like, I got nothing else once we get past that. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, well, I don't know. We're going to have to be talking about Portage and Maine pretty quick if we don't watch out. Fuck no. No, that's the pass. <laughs> Turn the shit off right yeah. now. Have you heard their Naked uh, Hunter S. Thompson TV show? What? No? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's going down or not. I just read the story, but it's like backdated a year. Okay. But according to that information, it would be in production like right now. Okay. Who's Probably. making it? Do you know who's in it? I'm not really sure. It didn't say much. It just said that they pitched this thing and someone... Yeah, it definitely said. I don't remember. Have you seen uh, Fear and Loathing? Uh, yeah, of course. Have you Actually, yeah, I have, but it was like this weird thing where I had Fear and Loathing on DVD. Yeah. But after like... A certain point, there's like a scratch on the disc, so I, okay. I hadn't seen the last half of it until so really, recent. yeah, yeah. Like I, I definitely watched the first half like a hundred times yeah. And, yeah. and read the book several times before I ever um, got to see the end of the movie. I, uh, I just was looking like Rolling Stone right now has like if you search Thompson on yeah. there, they have some of his stuff that just comes up like any other article, like from the 70s. That's tight. I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. you should definitely check it yeah. out. They've got, uh, have you heard of Fear and Loathing and Elko? No. So that's like one of the very last things he wrote for Rolling Stone, and it's like a fiction piece, same okay. sort of thing. Um, and that came out oof, in the 2000s, right before he died, okay. a couple years before. So it's got that, and uh, it has... Like, you know, all this stuff from Fear and Loathing with, like, yeah, the Nixon, Nixon campaign. Yeah. All, all, a, lot of, a lot of his political work's on there. And it's hilarious. And it's 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 great. I don't know. I uh, It's exactly what you'd expect. But it's it's super long-winded. And, you know, if it's supposed to be about Nixon. Like, he doesn't talk about Nixon the whole time. Right. You know, it'll be like, oh, I was at the convention. I was supposed to govern Nixon. And then, <laughs> yeah. like, I got lost. And he... He tended to do that, I think. Yeah, yeah. He wound up... Uh, at this, he found there's like these protesters, right, getting ready to run out yeah. for like something unrelated, and so, and so he like mingled in with them, and I guess they sessed out this other reporter, and they're kicking him out, and he recognized Thompson, so he's trying to, uh, you know, then he kind of narked on him, so he talks his way through, but the only way they let him stay is if he participates. So he's like 35 when he wrote the story, yeah, and he ends up with all these college protesters who I imagine to be in their early 20s, and they're just wearing hard hats and holding signs, <laughs> yeah. and he just starts screaming vulgar things, and just his words are so funny, man. Absolutely. Know? My shit was always, like, I've read Hell's Angels like 10 times, and yeah. then uh, Fear and Loathing, uh, or sorry, no, The Great Shark Hunt. Right. Was mine too. I love that one. Uh, what What's the Bill Murray movie? 
Oh, uh, Rum Diary? No, 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 no. That's Johnny Depp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the Bill Murray one? It's him. Uh, it's more like Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail. It was when they're in 72. Fuck, man. Now I'm not going to remember that shit. Yeah, I'm going to check it. Yeah. Check that shit, dude. Oh, my God. How can I not remember? Have it's you so seen good. the uh, Rum Diary movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I love What'd that you think? movie. Did you? I, yeah. I kind of felt lit down by it. No, I, I know people like... Especially like even the movie, man. Even the sorry, the where the Buffalo Room. Yeah, where the Buffalo Room. That's what okay. I'm thinking of. That one's so good, so good. Have you have you seen that? I haven't seen oh, it. Oh shit, you gotta watch that shit. And I, uh... I get the people don't like Rum Diary, and I think it has a lot to do. Like it's always tough to see like an actor playing somebody out of a book, obviously, and then especially something like somebody so prolific as Hunter S. Thompson. Mm-hmm. But I think like Johnny Depp was so devoted to that person and that character um so i you know i i totally give him credit for that and i think the rum die was just a good movie in general especially dude giovanni ribisi he like destroyed his brain with moonshine right i thought his character was fantastic uh yeah i don't know like did, did you read rum diary no yeah like the the book itself is also kind of slow you know what i mean okay. it's kind of true to it in that way i think uh what was the other one you said before you like, Buffalo Hells Rome? Angels my shit. Oh, oh, uh, uh, The Great Shark Hunt. Yeah, I've never yeah. read that either. That's a lot more politically focused. Um, it's like, I don't know, there's a lot of beef in it. It's like basically the Drake and Kanye story right, right now. Dude, what, like, have you been looking on Twitter recently? Do you know what the deal with Drake and Kanye is right now? There's like some shit about sampling or something? Uh, Do you know anything about that? No, the only thing I saw on Twitter was like Kanye was going off because he found out that Drake followed Kim or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and the then shit. and then Kim posts on her Twitter, which like it sounds like we're keeping up with the Kardashians right now. Which like don't judge us, but <laughs> she posted on her Twitter something about how uh, like apparently Drake like made threats to to their family. What? Yeah, which like I don't know why you'd ever be frightened. By Drake. No. You know, he seems like a nice fella, I think. <laughs> I Other think than so. like, dude, you know what too is like Unless he showed up with baby, then you know. Yeah, yeah. Well dude, like <laughs> these videos are post or are popping up. Um I just saw one, it's like he brings like a 17-year-old on stage and is like getting really handsy and he's like kissing her and stuff. And then he like asks her how old she is. Right. And she says 17, and then he keeps going. And then, like, the crowd is like... That was Drake? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And then... Uh, it's not a super good look. That's No, it's not the best look, man. And then... He was just dating somebody super young, though, wasn't he? I don't I don't know who he was dating. All I know is about the... Uh, he, like, had a baby with a porn star or something? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, man. that Pusha T shit? Yeah, yeah, But then... Uh, so that, that video came out, like... That would have been, like, maybe 2011 or 2014 or something like that. And then people were like connecting it to this uh, Millie Bro- Millie Bobby Brown thing too. Yeah. Like, do you know about that shit? No. Okay, so Millie Bobby Brown, uh, if you've ever seen Stranger Things, she plays Eleven. Okay. On that show, and she looks like she's about eleven years old, and she is like about eleven years old or something like that, or maybe fourteen or fifteen, whatever. But like, I don't know, a bunch of like t- tweets or like texts got like put out over Twitter or something where you know Drake's like talking to her and giving her advice and stuff and like the twitter sphere hopped on that shit and was like hey man it's weird that you're like texting this like super young girl and trying to be all familiar with her yeah and shit which like hey man be friends with who you want to be friends with but uh i think the optics of that is uh a little suspect if you know what so I mean. what sort of advice was he giving her like was it actor to actor yeah. like well yeah like just you know 
public persona to public persona, I think. Like, right. I don't think Drake considers himself an actor at this point, which, like, you know, obviously I'm not one to fucking put a perspective on that. But, uh, yeah, he, he, he was basically just saying, like, oh, you're doing so well and I love your stuff and keep going and, uh, like, birthday wishes and stuff. It seems like innocuous, like, innocent stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I don't know. I just, people will jump on that shit on the Internet. So it's weird. Definitely. Yo, here's something I uh, meant to ask you before when we were talking about the album that I yeah, got. Because you have like a, a fairly tight track list, right? Yeah. How many songs? Oh, six is going to be the main. And that seems to be like uh, a more popular format right now. Like, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, so, six for me is just like, I'm not trying to over inundate people with content, right? Like, right. I think right now with music with streaming uh people are very quick to jump from thing to thing which is cool it's just the habits that people have and i'm the same way but uh i think like yeah like you had kanye come out with that like seven track album how many tracks was daytona i think they were all seven everything yeah they, they were everything all, they did yeah. that uh that wyoming wyoming thing yeah, yeah. we're all seven tracks I think. yeah which is good i think because i think it allows okay what was that one that Drake just put out? Scorpion or Scorpio yeah. or whatever. Uh, 25 songs or something. 25. Yeah. Dude, it was like it was like five, six hours long, right? They all charted, though. Yeah, they all chart because it's Drake and like he makes good music. But I wonder if people I wonder if you can, as an artist, put that amount of like put that amount of yourself into each song like that. Right. Like. I I don't know. You have people like Gucci who are dropping like 3,000 mixtapes a year and that's just a style of artist. And then you have people like Kanye who wants to make each song like this insane piece of like abstract, introspective, like surreal wildness, which that's another type of artist, you know? And for me, I feel more comfortable with saying that these are the tip top, top shit people can vibe with this stuff and people can get something from this if I don't have to like feel myself being pulled in so many different directions, you know, like it, like for me, the cycle is like, if I have, I have some things I want to talk about at any given time. Right. So like this year it is these six things that I wanted to talk about. And then next year it's going to be different or right after this project, it's going to be different. Like I'm not, you know, I'm always writing, I'm always keeping it going. And so it's just like there's going to be more stuff. I don't see why you have to like stretch it out into this magnum opus or this epic or this odyssey. It doesn't need to be like every novel isn't 25,000 pages long. And I, I per- personally prefer the shorter form of content. It just sounds better. It feels better. It's easier to like get through, right? Like it, it I don't know, bite-sized pieces is the way it is. And people's attention spans these days too. You yeah. know, it's something that you have to consider when you're I think we're thinking that across formats, right? Movies are getting shorter, long form yeah. suffering in journalism. Absolutely. Like uh I and even if you were to put out a CD, let's say fourteen or twenty one tracks instead of twenty five, yeah. I'd I'd rather see you put out two or three records that year yes. instead of yeah. the one, Split right? It up, give man. give you some time to kind of get through because yeah. it I it, because we are in this, you know, these rushing rapids of content yeah. all the time now it's it's hard to spend as much time with one record and get through Absolutely. it all like it, it's yeah way more digestible in courses i think you get somebody like drake 
not hating at all, but at that level, you know, this guy just walks into the studio, drops a verse, walks out, you know, there's beats ready, yeah, there's producer. Know. Like, you're, like, I don't know, at this point, like, what's your recording process like? You record yourself? Oh, dude. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> dude, everything, it's, like, the most janky setup, but uh, it's, like, the way it works right now because I have, hey, no money. Um, <laughs> and so it's it's all in my basement. I've got a pretty decent mic that I'm renting right now. Uh, and yeah, I just buy the beats online uh, or and then. Yeah, so I have like a bunch of blankets hung up around. It looks like a dungeon, man. It's like yeah. seriously the cave. And, uh, you know, I will probably spend it depends. Like so sometimes I'll get a beat and I don't know what I'm writing going into it. And so I'll just kind of like listen to the beat for like, you know, whatever, an hour or something like that and, and sit there and really take some time to kind of figure out what what that music is going to bring out of me. Um, and then sometimes it's like I'll have written something before and then I'm looking for the music that I feel that matches up to it, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, the writing process can take anywhere like I've, you know, I've come out with stuff in like 10 minutes as far as like the, you know the three verses or whatever uh but then recording man like recording can take some time you know recording I'll, I'll go three four five hours straight right like i i i man i used to when i didn't know the stuff about like uh producing or editing that i do now i used to like when i was 16 17 18 i would write the song and then i would record everything in one take so I'd try and do the verse, the and chorus, the oh and my God. the next for and so three verses, two choruses. Generally, I would try and do all that straight in a row in one take, right? Like like all straight, so no pausing, no like getting ready for the second yeah. verse, anything like that. And uh, you know the quality of the music at that time that you know when I'd listen to it back, like you can tell, like there's still dope stuff that came out of that. But um, now I'm a lot, a lot happier with like having learned the skills that I need to learn. And I'm by no means an expert. Like um, I'm always looking for cool people to link up with and, and work with in that form. Uh, but I, I know <laughs> that this is like a quality product uh, because I'm actually able to like sit down and take the time that I need to take to be able to make sure, okay, this is perfect. This is what I want it to sound like. Yeah. You know, this it's. Which is the other advantage of having six songs, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the schedules these days, man. Totally. You know what's funny, though, is you mentioned, because you're absolutely right, like, with, like, people's attention span now, it's, like, fucked. Um, Because of such an oversaturation of content that we have or because so much content is coming out, Mm -hmm. uh, which is not a bad thing by any means. I'm I'm really happy the way that we're going right now. But, um, like, we're arguing that long-form... Uh, maybe maybe like seeing a, a fall but the funny thing i think is that the only thing i can think of that is like now benefiting from long form is discussion you know like i think like yeah, podcasts, podcasts are more popular than they've ever been and people people don't want a 20 minute podcast they want an hour people like three hour podcasts dude like joe rogan that's crazy the top podcaster in the world I arguably to, i hate to say this but like i rarely make it to the end of one of those episodes okay and it's not that I'm not interested, but to find a three or four hour block of chunk, yeah, a, a three or four hour block, holy, just chunk of time, mistake. block, yeah, 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 I feel you. <laughs> to find a three or four hour chunk of time yeah. to like listen to something rarely happens, and 
they need to be really good for me to be like, man, I'm coming back to hear this sure. again because for usually sure. you just there's so many other things waiting for you to see all the yes. time, right? And th- honestly, that bothers me about that. What's uh, that? I don't like that I don't finish things in a way sometimes. I don't know. I had my grandpa who was like very dear to me. I lived with him for five years uh, and yeah, like one of my closest friends, but he yeah. was like a nutty old professor. He had okay. like, like, I'm talking like 40 bookcases in our basement. Yeah. Like, like Doc Brown shit. Yeah, like yeah. just, but uh, less so like that because he was like the, he started the theater program at UW. So okay, like, he's like That's an artsy tight. dude, right? Yeah, yeah. But he and uh, I got out of reading for a long time when I was working construction and stuff. Just wasn't part of you know the program. I feel you, man. I was and uh, I was trying to get back in, and I was sort of struck. Like as a kid, I was a prolific reader, and I never struggled to finish a book. Yeah. But you know, uh, these books weren't pulling me back the same way. And then I found one that really grabbed me. I just chewed it up, right? And I told Reg, I was like, man, you know, maybe there's so many books that are, like, on my bedside table waiting for me right now. I think, you know, if I'm just not into a book, I'm just going to go for the next one because, like, I, you know, there's just that much. And he was kind of like, he's so supportive through everything, no matter what I wanted to do. But when I said that, he was like... Uh, you better finish those books. You kids, man. <laughs> yeah, you kids. No attention span. So, man. yeah, and that kind of made me think, like, yeah, he's like, even if it's a bad book, you need to finish it to know what you got out of it was kind of his attitude. So I, it's like, I guess the idea of finishing things, you start kind of. Um, I'd like to think I finish more, but, like, some of those podcasts, like, they kill me, but, like, they're great. And there is something to be said for uh, – the fact that it's just like the full conversation. Yes. Like if they pee, we wait. You yeah. know, you heard the whole thing, yeah. you know? So that, and that's worth a lot because everything we hear is so washed down right mm-hmm. now. Um, was yeah. that something that you're benefiting from that you think that like if it's unedited, like that's what you're looking for? Because I, I, I think it think depends what type of podcast you're listening to. Like if you're listening to something like a Joe Rogan or like, uh, you know, Mark Maron's WTF or something like that, they can talk to people that are like, you know, if you have, uh, like actors or celebrities or professors or like you know intellectuals what have you like there's some people that come on there and they want to talk about some shit that might be a little controversial right yeah so i think that that is like why it's so heavily put upon them to keep it unedited because people have so many problems now with media like editing stuff down and like putting words in people's mouths taking stuff out of context stuff like that like and that's what the important no, part I, about it I is, No, I think right? so too. And I think even with the best intentions in mind, I don't know that we're ha- humanly capable of creating something without a slant, right? So right, as, as right. soon as you start editing that, you're inserting yourself yeah. into that storyline. No matter who it is, for sure. Totally. Do you uh do you know Inter- Intercept? The Intercept have you no. ever been the website? It's uh you know Edward Snowden? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so uh Glenn Greenwald. Well, I don't know him personally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, he's all right. We had a beer the other okay. day. Okay. Um, uh, Glenn Greenwald is the journalist who broke Snowden. Okay. And uh, I guess just through donors, they were able to establish this website where they released all those stories yeah. pertaining to him. So it's super independent and, uh, you know, what they call... Uh, oh, fuck me. <laughs> I'm looking at this. Yeah. It pissed me off. Adversarial journalism. Okay. Right? So they're uh, against the man, pretty much, right? That's a weird term, adversarial journalism. It Maybe sounds that's not like, what it is. It sounds hostile. It their journalism kind of is. Okay. Yeah, they're not fight they're not running from that. Uh are they fighting the good fight? Who are they fighting? The well the they're 
the, for years, they were just digging through all those files leaked through Snowden, yeah. going through every story. Like and NSA then, stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, all right. Criminal justice. Man, maybe I'm full of shit. I don't know. That's okay. Yeah, right here. There Adversarial journalism. Yeah, there it is. That is it. The kind of reporting those disclosures required. Fearless adversarial journalism. Mm. So, um, but in their case, like if people like people will, you know, whistleblowers on a smaller scale than Snowden will come to them with documents, they will publish their story, but they will be like, here's the 90 page document. Yeah. You know, that that sort of transparency, which I think right now um, means a lot to people because. Well, some people. Sure. Yeah. Sure. People that are on that website. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Uh, maybe not enough people, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, I had a great thought. Just lost it. I wonder what's destroying the kids' brains these days, you know? I Memes and MDMA. Yeah. Like, that. That 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 is a thing, but... I'm not trying to, I'm just like a devil's advocate by nature, I yeah. guess. But, and I tend to agree with you that we're going to shit. I'm not just, no, no, that. no. I don't think we're going to shit. That's <laughs> not what I'm saying. I'm, no. Um, I just think that one thing is like, like we're, we're changing in a big, and like we, like, you know, people talk about like, oh, like everyone's brain's mush. And, but in a way, like our long term memory is just less necessary than it's ever needed to be. Like, we, there's Elon Musk on that Joe Rogan. Did you hear that one? Yeah, I watched. I I can't stand looking at him for a very long time. Yeah, or hearing him. I, I didn't I watch it. Say. But uh, Musk, Musk or Rogan? Uh, uh, Musk. Yeah, it drives you crazy. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's yeah he's got a uh, bit of an ego. He's a wild right? dude. Oh, well, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Yeah, he made the point that he's like, well, in fact, we actually are a cyborg already. Like we, the way we interact with technology, like yeah. we, like you put the average human naked in the woods, like we're done, right? Like, I, yeah, like we, we, we don't see it that way because there's no physical connection, you know. But you know, how often do our phones leave our hands? It's starting to get sure. pretty physical, right? Sure. Um, so. I don't know. As much as we are going a mush, like we are, like we are also going faster and things too. Like, yeah, so. dude. I think that is such a pessimistic outlook. Like, it's honestly the reason that I can discount the opinion that oh we're going downhill is because that opinion has been around forever. It's the oldest thing. There's nothing new about it, and it's in every culture and community that you can think of. Like, it's the same thing with rap, dude. Like, everybody wants to say that the rap game is dying or people are like, you know, it's becoming something that it shouldn't be or it's moved away from its roots or something like that. And it's such bullshit. It's so tired. I'm so tired of hearing that because you can always find quality stuff anywhere you look, right? Like it just depends about where you look. So it's the same thing with like, if you want to talk about globalization and how that's destroying our brains and how technology is like, you know, ruining how people interact with each other or about how people think, which like, in ways it's true like yeah like att attention spans are becoming shorter and people are becoming less inclined to like go and talk to their neighbor and people are becoming less inclined to socialize on a general scale but at the same time i think that 
that doesn't have so much to do with the way that the technology is affecting people, but the way that the people are embracing the technology. And it's the same thing with any sort of art or, or culture community is that it's not about, um, you know, it's not about the way, the way that the device is affecting us. It's not about the way that like people want to talk shit on people like Lil Pump or like whoever it is and, and say that like, Oh, they're, they're doing something bad or they're doing something negative toward the culture that they've invested themselves as. And it's bullshit because all it is doing is getting people to think of like, okay, 20 years ago, what was the biggest genre in the world? Hip hop. 30 years ago, what was the biggest genre in the world? Rock and roll. Right. 40 years ago, what was the biggest genre in the world? Probably still rock and roll and then disco 10 years back, maybe. Like, maybe disco for a little while. But, like, I would argue that from about the 50s and 60s, like, rock and roll is the biggest thing in the world, right? And I think, like, you kind of surprised with your answer 10 years ago, hip-hop. I wouldn't argue. I would not. Oh, actually, 10 years ago. Dude, I'm so fucked. Well, you said 20 years ago. Yeah, okay. So 20 20 years years ago, ago, that's like 99. Yeah, yeah. I would not argue that hip-hop was the biggest genre in the world at oh, that i was time. there man <laughs> yeah fair enough I, fair enough i i don't know i but I you mean, might be biased because you're such yeah, a fan i am absolutely right? biased exactly so i would argue that like whatever you want to call pop i guess my point is i think when people look back at those eras like and when you talk about like you know disco in the 70s yeah. and like free love in the 60s i really feel like 90s has hip-hop spray painted all over it yeah yeah, but again, it depends who you ask, right? Like, I feel like your parents or my parents might say something different or like our friends might say something different. But my point being about the way that people embrace the thing that's taking over is like people want to say that these mainstream artists, these, you know, young kids, SoundCloud rappers, stuff like that, like that it's somehow a bad thing that new people are becoming fit. Like, because hip hop is the biggest genre in the world right now. Like pop is hip hop. Like if you look yeah. at the top forties, top 200, anything, right? Like it's wall to wall hip hop. And you have some sprinklings of like some awesome techno or some awesome, uh, you know, what you'd call like, I guess, classical pop in there, wherever. Um, but people like, like your, your SoundCloud rappers and, and your, your Migos and your low pump. These people are bringing new fans into the culture and the community like they're getting new eyes on it they're generating revenue for it they're making the culture so much more pervasive in the world and i think that's such a good thing because it lets people into this wonderful wonderful like you know it almost used to be like a club like people you know it's like okay if you can't name every member of wu-tang then you aren't allowed to like call yourself a fan of the music. And I like now that it's so much more accessible because it allows new people to open themselves up to the genre and allows new people to open themselves up to start creating something in that genre. And I think that's such a special thing that, especially with, it's it's the same thing with technology. Like if we didn't have the technology that we have now, then there would be no SoundCloud or Bandcamp or these streaming services. And like we can get into the fucking bullshit about streaming services and music whenever you want, but... Um, if we didn't have these technologies, then people wouldn't have this access to being able to put their stuff on a platform that they have now. And I think that's super important. Like I wouldn't be able to put up the stuff that I have now if there wasn't things like the technology that we have and, and, and the, the user friendliness and the easy access to the technology, I think is a good thing because it's how you use it. It's how you wield the stuff, right? Like with great power comes great responsibility. Shout out uncle Ben, right? <laughs> the point is, is that you need to be able to decide for yourself as an individual, the way that you're going to wield any sort of power, right? So like the power of the technology, the power of 
hip hop artists tuning into what people actually want to listen to, to creating the noise that people like seem to have this like insane, insatiable thirst for right now. Yeah. Like especially like it also bugs the heck out of me when people talk about like Drake is a bad rapper or Drake is like not a rapper or Drake is something negative for the hip hop community. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. The guy makes music that people want to listen to. And he's out. He's representing Canada as much as he's like adopted L.A., yeah. whatever. But he's still representing Canada, which is great. He's, he's sure representing Toronto, which is great. Absolutely. Because there's so many good artists in Canada that people like are not paying attention to. Um, like, man, coming up, shout out Winnipeg's Most. I loved listening to Winnipeg's Most when I was younger. Oh, man. You know, they're not. I don't know that they're doing so much now. Uh, I know they might have had a little trouble, but like. They were amazing. Like they, they showed me that Winnipeg could be cool, dude. Yeah. Which is such a huge thing. And then you have people like, uh, you have people like fucking, uh, what's it called? Uh, Stick City Cult has this radio station now. Right now, if you guys don't know what Stick City Cult is, they're a rap collective from Winnipeg. You got to check them out. Uh, they have their own radio station that they're putting local artists onto right now. Like UMFM or what? Uh, no, or like online? I, I, I believe it's online. I okay. believe it's online. Um, and you have people like Three Pete, like this amazing rap trio that like, is doing shows and getting out there and making a name for hip hop in Winnipeg. Uh, you have dudes no, like, Anthony Carvello was a Creek home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. It's it's incredible. And you know, funny. I uh, so like I used to, like I was a skateboarder, and I'm still gonna call myself a skateboarder. Like if you're, you know, yeah, addicted to something, you're never really free from that. So like I'm a skateboarder. Uh, and when I was younger, I would like hit up places like Commander of the Forks or whatever. And I used to uh, just being a little skate rat. I used to see uh, Dylan from Three P uh, skating around. He was like sick. Like he's a rad skater too. Yeah. Which I don't know how many people know, but um, yeah. So that 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 guy's like putting on, and all Three P is obviously putting on. And I think that that is like so crucial, like such a crucial thing that people are just discounting and and it's such an easy and lazy thing to fall into that routine of like oh yeah you know it, it's being dumbed down or like we're being dumbed down and it's everything's lazy and processed and generated now but like you you have to look at both sides of the situation you know like i love a cheeseburger i wouldn't want to eat a cheeseburger every single day well, like I would, but it's like not healthy for you, right? Sure, yeah. um, but like there's still a place for cheeseburgers. Cheeseburgers. Cheeseburgers, man. Yeah. It's tight. Cheeseburgers. I yeah. got you. Just kidding. <laughs> um. So getting back then, streaming services. Yeah. Uh. You know, it's getting tougher to monetize music these days, you'd say? Um, I don't know as much about that. Uh, I would say that definitely people that I look up to are saying that uh, monetization is becoming a problem. But I would also argue that that is just leading into the transfer of people making money off of music is not is not like a one avenue thing, right? Like used to be that people would put out a record right like people were buying records cassette tapes cds what have you like that's how artists could make money before right uh and they'd go and do their tours and like get some press and get some fame and, and that's dope um but now it's just like again that's just like the culture is shifting and yeah the technology is a part of it and the way that people release things is a part of it and like 
people, all they're doing is just shifting their mindset a little bit, right? So to make money now, it's looking more like if you're not somebody with the exposure of like, you know, the top 10 the in the Drake's world. And or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you, you don't have the ability to make your own streaming service. Like I know a lot of the people that I like on SoundCloud, they put their music up for free and they get some listeners from that and, you know, they can blow up and they can get fans and stuff. And when the time comes, if people like their shit, then those people start touring. And that's yeah. how people are making their money these days. And I, th I think there's nothing wrong with that. And I think if, you know, people obviously like to see their people live. And if that's a way that you can make the most money, then that's tight. Like, it's just creating more entertainment. Yeah. Instead of somebody just putting out a record and then just chilling for a year. Now people have this incentive to tour. And, like, again, I'm not, like, a money music man. I don't know about, like, I'm not the lawyer or whatever. So I don't know if, like, people are being fucked over by that situation. But to me, I think if you can put your music out for free, gain interest and credibility and fans, and then you can go and tour and perform your art, for like, you know, that's what people want to see. And if that makes you happy, I think that's dope that people can make a living off that. So I, I definitely, I guess, maybe it's just my perception, but I absolutely feel like as fans and consumers, we've seen a lot more artists coming through as a result of that, right? Like, right, exactly. Yeah, and for, from where I'm sitting, that's positive. And the other flip side to, uh, you know, digitalization of music and everything is that, it may be tougher to make those M's, but at the same time, I think it's way easier to get a foot in the door. Yes. Somebody with yeah. a mic, with, you know, some software, whatever, yeah. you can start putting your own music together. And uh, records I, are expensive to print. Yeah. CDs are expensive to print. Totally. You know? And we don't need them. We don't need we them. We don't need it's, them. It's Let's wasteful. be honest. But yeah, break exactly. weed up on them. That's it. Like, they're not good <laughs> for like at this point, um, you know, I know there's obviously the vinyl heads that are yes, freaking out right sure. now. Like, I know it crackles, it's warm, but like, uh, <laughs> at, at the end of the day, you know, in terms of cutting back, like, I don't know, I'm always preaching this minimalist shit to yeah. everybody, but like, the, one of the easiest things to cut over our life, DVDs and CDs, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, and uh, yeah, how great is an iPod? Come on. I definitely, dude, I've never owned an iPod. Yeah, I never have either. But I, the concept of it. You yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. Being able to go through like 3,000 different artists in a day on your phone is like, it's an incredible experience. And I think it opens people up. That's the other thing too, is like, aside from it opening, aside from it allowing artists to gain more interest from a wider base, it also allows the consumer to gain more artists on a yes. wider spectrum, right? Because back in the day, it's like, you know, I remember going to whatever HMV or whatever with 20 bucks. And like, that's when I can pick up the new game album, yeah. right? Because I have 20 bucks in my pocket. And now with that 20 bucks per month, I can just give that to, you know, whatever corporate executive. And I get to listen to all this artist music at all times. And like, you, you know, you have like curated playlists and stuff like that. And it's just able to get a lot more value out of it. And again, like, if that's hurting the industry, I'd like to be shown how. Um, I know it's definitely a lot more difficult for smaller artists to make some money off of that because they don't necessarily have the capital to be able to go out and like tour and like take time off from their jobs and stuff like that. Like mm -hmm. you need money to tour, right? So it's definitely like a lot more difficult for smaller people to be able to make that type of cash off of 
touring and, and venues and stuff like that. But I think that if people enjoy your stuff and you enjoy making it, I think then there's never been a better time for you to be able to put content out right now. Yeah. Another thing that just from the perspective of, you know, I think all artists want to be heard. So, of for course, sure. you want to put your plays and everything. But, um, you know, getting played for stream, getting paid for streams. Yeah. Now you're looking at, you know, say you go out, you buy that new game CD. Like, oh, yeah. that's sweet. You can't wait for the new game CD to come out next year. But now, if you listen to it, you're like, man, that is sweet. I will go back, listen to every record yeah. they ever played. Do you know who Moco Only is? No. Um, you know who Swollen Members are? No. Really? Really. Okay. Um, they're uh, Swollen Members were, yeah, they're pretty, they still have music, but they were, they were bigger, like, you know, when I was 14, like around 2000. And then they kind of did blow up for a while, moved to LA, you know, sold some records. Yeah. And then, you know, Buddy got addicted to Oxy. And, oh, sick. Yeah. Um, but they made, like, really cool it's like backpack rap sort of like wu-tang meets dilated people like okay. it was, I, I was right up my alley and uh oh you like wu-tang huh yeah yeah you heard <laughs> that <laughs> um and they had a record label called uh battle axe right okay and uh they had one artist on it named mocha only and just a really funky like sing-songy kind of like a jazzy really musical guy yeah and i had one of his cds back then and just now, I was like, oh, it's thinking of what, you know, anything random to listen to. I'm like, oh, Moke only. wonder if he's made any records. Homeboy has like 45 albums. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, okay. Because he's like 45 and he's pumping out an album like every like four to six months. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I listen to them all. Like, you know, I could never go out and buy all 46 Mocha only albums. No, but, you don't have the cash for that. Nobody no, has the cash for that. No, and I mean, it's not even sensible. Like, it, I mean, you have a finite budget for music. Yeah. In that case, you're going to keep buying, you know, whatever. But not all of them. But yeah, now I could go back and I got to enjoy them all. And like, as an artist, I'm like, oh, that's sweet. That yeah. kid just listened to my shit for fucking the whole week, you know? Like, There's no better feeling than that. That's dude. cool. Like, that was, that's, I think that's one of the craziest things now uh, that I'm actually putting stuff out and people are listening to it and the best i don't think that there's a better feeling that when somebody like takes the time out of their day to like dm me or message me or whatever and like they'll tell me like yo like this this is like i like this i felt this you know you created a mood here and i've like when people tell me that they vibe with my stuff it's like that's the most important thing in the world to me. And when people tell me that further than just sonically appreciating something, that they actually understood the message or that they 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 made they interpreted it as something that they liked, right? That is like the most mind-blowing thing to me now that I can like say words over music and people are like, yo, like you really have something to say here. And that started with the poetry stuff when I would go to these slams, like like what really gave me the boost that's what it is dude what really gave me the boost to be able to put my shit out there now is like going to these slams and having people come up to me after like a like you know getting first place and shit like that's obviously tight but it's so subjective um but having people come up to me from the crowd afterward like if i'm just having a beer or whatever and like people will come up to you and they'll like grab your sh grab my shoulder and be like hey like you really fucking you wrapped your ass off up there right like you, yeah you, i really you really have something to say and i really felt what you said there and i've dude i've had people go from slam to slam and like catch me after more than one 
Yeah. And it feels so good to know that people are like looking forward to my stuff and thinking that like what I have to say, people can look forward to, you know, like that. It's such an experience that I never thought I'd get to have. And I'm so incredibly thankful for that. And, and anybody who's everybody that like that wants to reach out and say something like that, like, I thank you so much. And it's so appreciated. Here's a question for you for amongst all that love. Do you have to deal with any haters ever? Um, other than like, you know, my friends, my girlfriend, I'm just kidding. Cause, <laughs> but like, no. Okay. So like all the big spectrum, like, no, I've, I don't have enough people listening right now that, I, you know, especially like, I think the community that we're in here, like I think Canada or at least Winnipeg, I know like yeah. nobody's going to like hate on your shit. Like if they don't like it, they won't say anything, which honestly would be worse to me and is worse to me than people like talking shit. Like if somebody wanted to message me or like come up to me on the street and be like, yo, this sucks. I'd be way more psyched by that than like have no movement, you know, yeah. like because if somebody if if it makes a reaction in somebody like heavy something. enough. Yeah, exactly. It did yeah. something right. Like if it's heavy enough to make you feel any way, then I've done my job. I feel good about what I've done. Yeah. Right. But no, I, I've never had anybody that's been like you know, negative or anything like that. But uh, what I was saying before about like, I, I trust my, you know, my close circle uh, and like my girl to be like, I, I'll play them my shit. And if they'll be like, nah, like I didn't really feel that or that's whack or something. Yeah. Like, I like that because I, I like that, you know, a lot of people will just like be nice or whatever. And that's cool because people are polite, but you need that, right? You that's, need that's somebody why, to call that's you why out you show it to your inner circle. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If they're not going to tell you that, then there's no you showed it to. Exactly. Them. That's right. The reason why I was asking is because I've heard a couple larger artists and figures, and yeah. and they've been talking about uh, the emotional damage and from the hate that they take on something like Twitter and stuff, and yeah. they say, you know, there's obviously the positive ones too, but those negative ones just really like just shine through, kind mm -hmm. of. And to me. I'm like, that sort of surprises me because I feel like if I had 10 people tweet me and be like, you're shit, but the 11th person was like, man, like that just made the biggest difference to me. Yeah. I, I feel like it'd be almost the opposite, you know? But Have you it, had that experience before? Do you know? No. Like I've never shared anything with anyone. You know right. what I mean, man? Everything's on this computer. I don't, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I've never had anyone tell me negative about anything, you know? So I... I don't know how I will react when that comes. Yeah, I know. Uh, I just saw. Uh, so I'm a huge Post Malone fan, too. Yeah. And like, go ahead and hate if you want. Go <laughs> ahead and judge if you want. I don't give a fuck. Uh, so I saw he on Twitter the other day, like posted some shit about how um, about how he needed to like take a break from like looking at Twitter or something like that. Right. Um, because of the negativity that he was receiving, which is so crazy to me, dude. I, I hate like obviously there's no place for negativity in the no cote show like it's all about promotion popping people up like yep it's all love um but seeing like somebody like that on twitter that's like putting out their stuff and like having like especially on that scale obviously hundreds of thousands of people mm -hmm. millions of people are looking at it and so to have like that level of people you're also going to have a large amount of people that are like not vibing with it and i know a lot for post malone especially i know a lot of people are like ragging on his appearance too mm -hmm. you know like people like it's basically like a internet thing now it's like people get to rag on yeah how he looks yeah, yeah. um which is like it's just like fucked up you know like i don't 
I don't know. I don't vibe with that at all. And I totally support anyone who wants to take a break from social media or from like trying to be in the public eye. Like, I, I you know, I've obviously no concept of what that's like. So, but um, to get back, like, I guess more personally, I have been, you know, I didn't win all of the poetry stuff, right? right. Like I've yep. been there and I've had people not feel my stuff. Yep. And I've 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 pinned up on stage looking at those like, you know, you get twos and threes, I think. And uh, <laughs> and I've been there and it's like. It's good, though, I think, because it's humbling and it lets people it lets you know, like some people aren't going to vibe with you. And that was kind of like the first experience that I had when like. I would show my early stuff to friends and stuff. And like I said, they're all going to be polite and be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Um, but then you go out and you try your shit out. And if you get like a crap score, then, you know, it's like, OK, I, I you know, A, you, you think I'm going to try and do better. And B, you think like you get that lesson of like not everybody is going to vibe with your stuff and you can't please everybody with your stuff. Right. So I think that's like a super crucial thing. But as for like that, as for just people being like negative, just to be negative and, and the mental repercussions of that on the artists, like, yeah, like, I don't know. It's really interesting because what really gets me and I've only been on social media for a year and a half. Now, yeah. right? So and what I've really noticed is how everybody like it's so polar like yeah. either everyone's just loving you and dropping all these weird yellow faces on you and telling you <laughs> yeah. how great they are are they like your shit like i hope you die yeah. like, it, like people say the worst things and i think it's easy maybe to get detached from Absolutely. you know the human that's Absolutely. attached to whatever they're referring to but you know i feel like they're mostly putting on a show for other people reading the comments no one's actually thinking about someone reading it yeah. but i don't think i've ever seen like a constructive criticism like i've never seen somebody respond to something and be like you know what man like this would have been okay if you no i've never seen anyone say anything yeah. like that and maybe like you know people feel like they're not like they wouldn't you know maybe their opinion's not that yeah. valid or anything but i've i i rarely see people that are dialed in and just having a good conversation or talking about something it seems like everyone's either angry or just like gushing manufactured yeah. love and well, i don't know it depends on the format that you're looking at right so like something like youtube comments or twitter or something like that yeah then you're absolutely right like people are not using critical thinking or taking the time to actually come up with anything constructive necessarily but on the flip side uh like i love watching people that uh you know I vibe with or that I can trust like doing reviews and stuff like that. I like seeing the way that somebody can deconstruct a, like a Kendrick album and say like, like obviously we know one of the most talented people in, in the universe of no all doubt. time. Right. Yeah. But you can still take that. And because that's a human, you can still take their art and say like, okay, like this is what hits and this for the person reviewing it, this is what misses mm -hmm. in their eyes, right? So, like, I think that is also of, like, so much value, right? And, like, you know, blessed be the day that somebody decides to go ahead and take something that I made and, and try and uh, critique it or review it. Um, you know, I'll, I'll buy you a beer, I swear to God. Um, it's on. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, yeah, like, 
So I, I think that there's definitely a place for people. That's another thing too, is, is in the, is in the hip hop community. Like people have this hate for, uh, bloggers is like a very big buzzword that you'll hear come up in a lot of songs. Uh, you know, I think artists and, uh, you know, the people around them have this hate for like reviewers and artists and stuff like that. Um, because, because like you say, they've never seen these people in real life. They don't have any sort of emotional connection with these people other than what they've heard through social media or their music and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, like whatever, um, Eminem on his last album, that kamikaze thing, right? Like he was, uh, that was dedicated to like, a whole bunch of people who like talk shit on him as well as and including uh the ubiquitous blogger right yeah and i think that i think that that's like misguided because a i don't know why he would respond to that in the first place but like b th there's a place for people who are critiquing the music like there's a place for uh, all art is like it's out there to be enjoyed and on like a secondary level, it's out there to be judged. Like nobody wants to, to put art out and just have people go, huh, and walk away from it, right? Like they want to yeah. hear what people think about it. If I can add on to that, I, yeah. <clears throat> I think, uh, yeah, it's out there to be, you know, enjoyed and judged. But I think another takeaway that I think a lot of artists obviously hope for is for the music to be discussed. Yes, 100%. Right? Like you're, trying 100%. To, you're trying to trigger something. So yeah. uh, it's... Yeah, it's something to consider that, you know, maybe, like, they, uh, come on, Will. No, dialogue is important. And then when you have something like social media, it just gets boiled down to, like, the bare bones of what the emotion that the person is feeling. And I think that's a lot of what it is, is these comments, like you say, where it's like, oh, your stuff sucks or something like that. Like, that's just an emotional reaction yeah. to a very calculated and very well thought out product that somebody puts out. So that's why we have this instant, like, you know, we're like, oh, yeah, fuck YouTube comments because there's never anything good that goes on there. Well, yeah, because you're comparing, like, this emotional response to this piece of content at the top that has so much effort and so much beauty put into it. Yeah. Right? So, like, obviously, like, people aren't going to take the time. Like, the average person isn't going to take the time to sit down and, like, really think about that and come up with something just as beautiful as a response to it, right? Um, and then like, yeah, looking at social media, it's just like, I don't know, you can, there's lots of opinions on social media and you can pick and choose which ones you want to see. Yeah. That's a weird thing where we're at right now with that too. Right. And I can't say enough how positive I think it is that the internet has given voice to the masses, yeah. but the, a lot of people would disagree with you. Yeah, a lot of people would, and they might be right. Um, I don't think there's a right or wrong in that situation. That, well, I'm sure there's a bit of both on both sides yeah. of it, right? Like, here, uh, my brother made this point to me recently. He said, you know, not since ancient Greece have we been in a position where we could so effectively implement a direct democracy if we wanted, where everybody tuned in on Sunday yeah. night, listened to the issues, and we yeah. all voted. We could totally do it. That's a good point. That's interesting. Who would want that? Can you imagine? Would you ever want to give everybody the right to vote? Um, I mean, who am I to say? You know, like... No, you're narco the beat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, but I think, you know, voice your opinion. If it sucks, it sucks, and people aren't going to listen to you. That's all. Everybody should have, like, the right to an opinion, of course. Yeah. The, yeah, and, and I mean, that's human. You can't avoid it. Mm-hmm. Something I think I think you need to work on having less opinions. To be honest, yeah, I do. Get in trouble? Um, they do get you in trouble, but I think that's I don't know. That's I don't know with the whole Buddhism thing. I think it's a big thing. It comes to too like, you know, opinions are what lead to attachment. Are you then. fully Buddhist? No. Um, I mean, no, I absolutely would not say that. I have not. Uh, you can you take refuge in Buddhism, which is like their baptism, so to speak. Okay. So I haven't done that. So no. Um. I'm, you know, I'm interested in the philosophy, of course, and I've been practicing meditation for a few years, mm-hmm. but I have never even been on retreat, which is kind of where you're in your Buddhist stripes. So it's an area of interest for me and uh, something of a guiding philosophy, maybe, mm-hmm. but I, I would not uh, label myself a Buddhist. No, definitely not in my actions. But it helps you? Yeah, I know. It was a big thing for me. Um, yeah, big time, for sure. Grabbed onto that about five years. I connected with... Uh, Shambhala, which you probably recognize the name from the music festival. Yeah. So th- it's actually named after a mythical utopian society mm-hmm. in like Asian culture. And uh, so it's named after the same thing as Shambhala Buddhism. And that came to uh, the USA first in the 60s from uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche is the teacher that brought it here. And he's a Tibetan Zen master. And uh, so it grew out of that pretty crazy back then i think a lot of hippies probably you know sex and drugs kind of sure thing. yeah but uh Can get perverted a little bit i think yeah it's uh it, it well they, yeah buddhism's unique to other religions in that where a lot of them center on ritual and not evolving uh you know it very much adapts and grows into every whatever area it arrives in so yeah he he had adapted it a lot. Like he discovered a phenomena that he called spiritual materialism in uh, Western culture in mm-hmm. that meditation's pretty mundane and just an average sort of thing from where he came from. But here he found that um, where, where you're supposed to use meditation to dissolve your ego, people were getting like a tire pump, like, oh, look at me, I'm meditating, yeah. right? They're so, selling it, right? Yeah. So he really dumbed it down. Like when we meditate, there's, it's, there's of course, there's chanting and stuff, but it's minimized. Um, we sit loose cross-legged with our palms down, shut the fuck up yeah, and that's it. Right. Uh, so yeah, in this case, you know, typically I would say, I don't know, in my mind, most people arrive at Buddhism in Western culture through intellectualism versus spirituality. So the, the ideas make a lot of sense to me and they help. And like you talk, like I have never consulted a professional for any of my own issues, which is, you know, something I've talked about over and over again. Mm-hmm. But uh, by joining that group, I have a teacher who's really amazing and uh, just a lot of really, really wonderful, loving people. There. Well, wait, would you not call that teacher a professional? Um, I, sure. I mean, she's I, I mean, she's a teacher by day, right? Like she's not that's not her profession. So. No, but I mean, you say you haven't consulted a professional with issues that you have, but I feel like something like when you're trying to find spiritual growth, I feel like that's, is that not consulting a professional? I, I guess, yeah, from that perspective, yeah. you could say that for sure. Um, maybe in the sense that it's much less like, you know, if you picture the very typical, like a subject on a couch and someone very focused and listening, yeah. this is like a group where, uh, 
absolutely anytime I want to talk about my personal life, I can, but that's certainly not the focus of our study. Yeah. But, um, yeah, as for myself, it's, yeah. That sounds amazing. Saved my life, for sure. That's incredible. Yeah, no, love him to death. And I haven't actually been for uh, a few months because of Oh, school. what the hell, man? Yeah, I'm trying to go today, actually. <laughs> Good. Yeah, so now... Uh, well, now it's on the record. I guess I gotta go now. <laughs> Hell yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, so that should be cool. Um, where the hell were we before this? Just chatting. Yeah, chatting. Well, my guiding philosophy is: if you forgot, it probably wasn't important. Fair enough. Uh, anything else you want to get into here? I think that's good. You tight? Yeah, I think so. All right. Um, why don't you, uh, I know we don't have a solid date for your event yet, but why don't you yeah. plug where they can find you online? Yeah, absolutely. You so you can hit up my Instagram at Narco the Beat. Uh, I have a Facebook page, which is at M as in mother, Y-H-M-Y-H, Narco. Um, and yeah, just check me out, man. You can find my website on there. It's nocote.com. I got a song up right now. Um, yeah, hit me up, man. Like, give me a shout. Awesome. Thank yeah. you for coming down, man. This Thank was awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs>